are you? Man, it's good to see you. It is a privilege and an honor to be here this Sunday with you. I'm Pastor Micah from the Noblesville campus, and uh, it's, it, I was telling someone, because I was thinking about it the other day, this, I've never preached here on a Sunday morning, so this is the first time I get, yeah, so I preached at Fishers and Pendleton and, and Noblesville, but you guys, uh, you, I've been, you guys are the gem. I think Nathan was like, I really value Eagle Creek, so I want to make sure you're not going to mess it up. And I need to know for at least a couple years that you're good at what you do. So he really cares about you because he finally, you know, after a lot of trial and training, he finally let me come down here and preach. So this is great. Yes, but uh, we've been in Second uh, Samuel. Uh, the chapter 5 was last, was last week and a couple weeks before that we've, been in, we've seen David has now taken full control over Israel. And uh, the Lord has given David uh, the just great blessings. And he beat the Philistines, and we're picking it up right after he's really kind of run the Philistines off. But before we do that, I want to say to any guests that are here, welcome. We, uh, we're, we're multiple campuses. Like I said earlier, we've got four locations, and we have an online uh, service as well. And, uh, and we're expository in our preaching. I love this. I've, been at, I've worked at a couple different churches over the course of my life, and none of them were expository in their preaching. I remember the first time Nathan even said that to me, he's like, we're expository in our preaching. I'm like, suppository in our preaching? What? What? He's like, Micah, no. Again, this is why I had to go through the trial before I could come here, right? Uh, Okay, so, but, but I didn't really understand it too much. I didn't know what that really meant. We'd always been topical in preaching at the other churches I was at, and that's, that's fine. I mean, you can say, okay, let's, talk, let's, let's do a series on marriage or a series on good relationships or a series on stewardship, whatever it might be. And, you, you know, the Word, the Word of God talks about everything we're going to deal with in life. And so you can be topical, that's fine, but expository is going verse by verse through God's Word, one, at, one verse at a time, one chat. One chapter at a time. And I'm going to tell you right now, I have learned so much about God's Word just being here at Life Church preaching from an expository perspective. It's amazing. I mean, you, when you know the context of, the, of this, the passage, when you know the history and, and you've seen what's happened prior to and what's coming, it's amazing. I mean, God just speaks. And it's amazing how it'll hit us right for the season that we're in right now. I, I remember when, uh, when, we got, when I got here, we were in Nehemiah. And Nehemiah was talking about stewarding the nation, stewarding the nation, going back to the history of what Israel was and protecting the, the nation of Israel's history. And, and that was right at the time in 2020. And we had all the unrest in our, in our nation and people saying, hey, we're going to tear down statues. And in Nehemiah, you saw it right there in God's word where Nehemiah said, do not pull down the monuments of your history, good, bad, or indifferent, because you, that's how you know where you came from. And so it was amazing. We hit that right in that season. God knew we were going to hit it that in that season. And so expository preaching is so powerful. And I, I just, I, I love it. So all that to say, that's what we're doing. Today we're in 2 Samuel chapter 6, and we're going verse by verse through this chapter right now. So we're gonna, this is a really interesting passage because, again, David, the first uh, 10 chapters of 2 Samuel are David's triumphs. Okay, we're seeing David's getting blessed. God is blessing him as king over Judah and now king over Israel. Chapters 11 and 12 are David's trans, uh, uh, trans, transgressions, where he, he's going to make a big mistake. He's going to make multiple big mistakes. And then the rest of the chapter, 13 on, is going to be David's tribulation. David's tribulation because of his transgressions. So, but we're in the, the great season with David right now. And you saw just in chapter 5, God... He, he sought after God's heart. He said, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to deal with the Philistines? And the Lord told him two different, 
different strategies to go after the, the Philistines, and God, God ran the Philistines out through David. And David gave God the glory. That was important. It wasn't like King Saul. King Saul said, oh, it was mine. I did this for you, Israel. David said, no, no, God did this. I was just the vessel he chose. So God's blessing him. So now we see a passage of Scripture where David, he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna end up going down this path where, um, let me see if this clicker is working. Hey, is, this, uh, is my clicker working there, Mike? Are you on ProPresenter right now? Let's see here. Hold on a second. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead and go to the next slide. All right. Oh, go back. To, go back. Sorry, there we go. The right thing the wrong way. All right. So, okay. So David, so we have the right thing the wrong way. And this is, this is going to be a great message for all of us, I believe, when it's, because we, it's our intentions. We often think God looks at our intentions and say, well, because your intentions were good, therefore that means everything you're doing is, is okay. No, no, no. God has very specific ways to do things. And so we find here in verse 1, David, again, gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts who sits enthroned on the cherubim. Okay, so what, what's happening here? Well, the ark hasn't been in Jerusalem. The ark, the ark has, it was captured by the Philistines. We saw that back in chapter, chapter one. The Philistines didn't want it because God's presence was just wrecking their lives. Anytime they'd bring it into their own, their own God's temples, it was just destroying everything that was happening in the Philistines. So they Every town in the Philistine area, they would say, we don't want the ark because every time the city before us got the ark, bad things happened to them. And so they find this, the ark's been living kind of in a, in, a, in a guy's house now for the last uh, 40 years, 30 years, roughly, give or take. And so that's been, that's where we pick up the story here. So now David's saying, we got to bring the ark back to Jerusalem. Now, what is the ark? The Ark of the Covenant was where the presence of the Lord dwelt with men. It goes all the way back to Moses. Inside the Ark of the Covenant, it was a, it was a box. It was probably about this, probably this wide as the stage is and probably stood about this high. And inside, there'd be a lid. And inside the lid, you'd find, you'd find a couple pieces of, uh, of artifacts. So you'd find two tablets, which were the Ten Commandments. Okay, we all know what the Ten Commandments are, I would assume, here from Moses. God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. We, saw a, or we found a jar of manna. It represented God's provision. So the Ten Commandments represented God's authority. The jar of manna, uh, manna represented God's provision. And then there was a stick that had almond buds budding from it. And that represented God's, God's power. Okay, so this is, it's, it's all signs. These things were very strategic and specific in the ark. But then on top was this amazing piece of solid gold lid that, that had this mercy seat. And it was two cherubim angels with angel, with angel wings going out like this. And the mercy seat was the very special place. It was the place where God would come and he would meet with his people over shed blood. Over shed blood. Now, if you have your notes, if you got notes when you walked in, you can fill in the blanks and all the, the highlighted, you know, uh, words are, are the fill in the blanks. So I, this is what I do at Noblesville because it makes sure that people don't fall asleep when I'm teaching. So uh, <laughs> it helps me whenever I'm listening, if I can write something down, you know, it keeps my attention. All right. Um, but there's this really cool picture I want to show you. It was, of the, um, it was of the tabernacle. This was back in the days of Moses when the Israelites were wandering the wilderness. And the Lord said, I want to be with my people. God's heart is always to be with us. It's always been his, his heart from day one with Adam and Eve. The Bible says that Jesus would walk in the cool of the day. 
with Adam and Eve. The pre-incarnate Christ would walk with, with Adam and Eve because he wanted to be with us. When we die, just so you know, we're not going to live in the sky somewhere. That is not the ultimate end goal. The Lord is coming down here and he's making a new heaven and a new earth. The old will have passed away and the new will have come, but it's going to look and feel a lot like what, what we have today. It'll just be perfect. Exactly what was the Garden of Eden. Remember, the Garden of Eden was, was earth. It was, you know, you could go to, to where the Garden of Eden was. We don't know where it's at, but we have an idea. But you can go to that region and somewhere in that region, the Garden of Eden was there. Somewhere Adam and Eve walked the same earth that you and I are walking. But God's heart was to always be on this earth with us. And then sin came in the world. He can't be around sin. Therefore, he couldn't be with us, and that broke his heart. But he found a way. And one of the ways in the Old Testament, before Jesus had come to do what he did ultimately on the cross, one of the ways the Lord did that was by the tabernacle. And this is a picture of the tabernacle. This is a famous picture. So you see all the tribes of Israel are, are encamped around the tabernacle. Now, the Lord was very specific in how to do all of this. Even if you were to have a drone, if you could take a drone back, you know, 4,000 years ago, well, you'd freak everybody out for one, but then uh, you, like, if you could go up and look at how the camp is laid out around the tabernacle, guess what, guess what shape it's in? A cross. Isn't that amazing? Even, and they would have never really known that. They wouldn't, they wouldn't have been able to pick, pick out the significance of the shape, but the Lord told Moses, this is how the camp, this is, how the camp is supposed to, to align, and right in the middle of the camp, was the tabernacle. And that's where the place where the presence of the Lord would meet with his people. There was the outer courts, and then you'd go into the inner courts, and then the most holy of all the places was this place. There's a curtain, a veil separating the very back of the tent there, and it was the holy of holies. And the high priest was only allowed to go in once a year to, to, to meet with the Lord. Now, in the Old Testament, Moses would go in more often, but once the temple was built, the high priest was able to go in once a year to the Holy of Holies where the presence of the Lord was. And they would actually, they would actually put a rope on the high priest's ankle and he would wear bells on his garments. So that way, if he wasn't clean, ceremonially cleansed before he went into the most holy of all places because of the presence of the Lord, guess what's going to happen? He's going to die. Like, he's going to come in. His sin is going to cause death to occur in his natural body. And so think about it this way. I don't know if this was trial and error. I don't know if they figured this out the hard way. But think about it. It's like, you know, high priest Frank goes in to meet with the Lord. He isn't ceremonially cleansed, and he dies. And then high priest, now the new high priest is a guy named, we'll say Jim, right? And say, all right, Jim, go in and get Frank. I'm not going in there. How do you go in and get him? You have to wait a whole nother year, right? So they knew that when the bells stopped ringing, Pull that rope that's connected to the guy's leg, and here comes the dead body, right? <laughs> and it's, it's super funny to laugh about right now, but the significance is, is like, don't mess with a holy God. Amen. Don't take it flippantly. Even the intentions of your heart, which is what we're going to see here in this passage, God does not give you a pass for good intentions. If you're not doing it his way, it ain't going to work. And there's going to be consequences for you. And you may say, well, that's not a very loving God. And I would argue, i say, no, it's a very loving God because he's holy. He keeps himself set apart for our sakes. If he gave himself over to the flippancy of our minds, he wouldn't be holy. He wouldn't be God anymore. And we would all perish. Praise God that he is God and that he is set apart. And he calls us to that same standard. So verse 3 in chapter 6, And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which is where it was. That was it was kind of in that guy's house, like I said earlier. 
which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ohio, okay, I, first of all, let me just stop here because it's not Ohio. And I love Ohi, okay, you guys all know Ohi, right? The thing I cannot stand about Ohi is his stupid obsession with Ohio State, okay? So I was always like, dude, and I grew up in Michigan, so I'm a Michigan fan. So it's not Ohio for all you, you know, Buckeye nut, you know, nut jobs out there, okay? Like, this is Ohio, okay? So not Ohio, okay? Yeah, no, O-H-I-O, whatever you guys do. I don't remember what it is, but okay. So Uza and, and where's Ohi when you need him, right? Like, I'm going to send this to him where, you know, where they... Uh, where they're going to church now, right? And I'm going to say, hey, I talked about you today and I was able to get my shots in about Ohio State. So, and he can't, he can't be here to defend himself. So uh, there, there you go. Uh, okay, Uzzah and Ohio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God and Ohio went before the ark. Now, remember I said God gives in specific instructions on how everything should work. And he also gave instructions on how to move the Ark of the Covenant in the right way. Very specific instructions. The right way, it's actually listed in the book of Exodus. If you go to Exodus 25, and then if you go to Numbers 4, you can see the creation of the Ark, and you can see how to move the Ark. And there was only one tribe that was allowed to move the Ark of the Covenant, and that was the tribe of the Levites, the Levitical priests. And there was only one family within the tribe of Levi, the Kohathites, and they were the ones only to carry the the Ark of the Covenant. But but how do you carry something that's so holy? Well, God told, when they created the Ark, God said, hey, put rings on the sides on all four corners, and you're going to have rods that go through these rings. And when the Kohathites will pick up the the Ark, there'll be four men on, on both sides, and they'll carry it on their shoulder. Even the Lord tells them what part of the body to put the rod on. And you may be thinking, gosh, Lord, why is there so many rules? Come on, like we can put it on a cart, can't we? Well, here's why. This is the Lord. The Lord gives us boundaries and rules for our own protection. And here's what happens. Remember, David's not doing what God said. He probably didn't even necessarily know at the time that God was, he might've been taught that a long time ago, but who knows? He just, they put it on a cart. That's not how God said to carry it. And so we see in verse five, David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord. Their hearts were in the right place. They were worshiping God, just kind of like what we just did here a few minutes ago, dancing before the Lord, singing his praises with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and and, uh, cymbals and castanets. And when they came to the threshing floor, now the threshing floor is the place where the wheat is separated from the chaff. Okay, so this is where I think it's symbolic. I think this is interesting that all this happened at the threshing floor where it's, it's the good from the bad. It's God's ways from the world's ways. It's the truth from the lies. The threshing floor, that's a picture of what God is doing within our, within our culture. He's separating out truth from lies. When they come to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah, okay, one of the sons of Abinadad, puts out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it for the oxen stumbled. Hmm. This is why the Lord may have said, carry it on rods. Okay? But the oxen stumbled. The cart got a little shaky. Uzzah doesn't want the Ark of the Covenant to fall and break, like all of us probably would. He puts out his hands. He's like, whoa, I'm going I'm to stable it. And look what happens in verse 7. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And God struck him down there because of his error. And he died there beside the Ark of God. Now, I don't know about you, but when you first read this, you're like, seriously, Lord? I mean, what the heck? I mean, couldn't you have a little mercy, like a little grace? Like, he's just trying to help. 
And the anger of the Lord. So two things. God gets angry and God kills. Now God doesn't murder, but he kills justly. And he'll kill people. He's done it before. I know that's not a hard, that's not an easy thing to take. take we always want to be like, oh, Jesus loves us. He's just, God's the old guy up in the sky. He's going to be my buddy, right? No, if you have that mindset about God, you're doing the exact same flipping attitude that Uzzah did. God is not somebody that is, that you walk into his presence lightly. I mean, God is a dangerous guy. Remember that scene in, in uh, Chronicles of Narnia at the very end of, of the movie and in the books, it's in there too, but the movie you see Aslan after all the, the, the battles over and, you know, it's, it's the, the, the Pevensey kids are sitting on their throne and, and Lucy walks out to the balcony and she sees Aslan walking on the beach and he's walking away. You know, he's the Christ figure in that movie. And Lucy's, you know, friend that she met early on in the movie, Mr. Tumnus, the fawn, he comes up and she, he, he sees Aslan too. And, and Lucy looks at Mr. Tumnus, will we ever see him again? And Mr. Tumnus says, ah, I'm sure you will, but you mustn't press him, press him because after all, he's not, a, he's not a tame or a safe lion. And then he says, yes, but he is good. And Lucy says, but he is good. And that's our, that's our God that they're, that they're referencing. He's not a safe or a tame lion. He's not, he's not, he's not a, you don't mess with him, but he is good. And even in this passage right here, the killing of Uzzah was a good thing. Now, it may not have seemed like a good thing. It may not have, it may not have been the, 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 I mean, I'm sure Uzzah's family was kind of like, what the heck? Like, this hurt. Why'd you do this this way? But this is the, this is God. This is the God of the holiness. This is the God who is set apart and he wants us to be set apart. Now, I think, I think going back to that idea that we kicked off with, doing the right thing with the right motives, the wrong way can have very bad consequences. Now, there's something that happened here uh, at Life Church. Uh, we've, this is our Kingdom Builders weekend, and we've seen God move powerfully uh, at the Eagle Creek campus through the food pantry. And really, honestly, you guys don't know this, but at the other campuses, we really like celebrate that with you because you're doing something that we're not doing at the other campuses. You're doing it well. But there was a season where the Lord really laid on Mike's, Pastor Mike and Pastor Nathan's heart, hey, let's, let's have a food pantry. The right thing, the right motives, they wanted to feed those who needed to be fed. That's a good thing. But they found out very quickly that they were doing it the wrong way. They were having people get out of their cars and come into the building. And it really wasn't working. I think Mike told me that there was just going to be, there was a couple, you know, three, four, five people that would show up to these things. And they were like, geez, Lord, we're really spinning our wheels and not a whole lot is happening. And then COVID hit. And it changed how they began operating and it changed everything. And now to this day, you guys serve a ton because of what COVID caused Life Church to have to do. Check it out. Check out this video and see what happened. Food giveaway organizers are praying for more help so they can help more families. Despite cold temperatures outside, members of the Eagle Creek campus of Life Church held signs up about their free curbside groceries.
Inside, 30 to 40 volunteers at Life Church help put together the food baskets to feed hungry families. And so there's some dry goods, there's normally some meat, there's some, uh, as, as much as we can, some fresh vegetables. Um, and so, but enough to make several meals uh, that'll last a week or two for a family. Life Church curbside giveaway is not only food for the body, but also the soul. As they uh, pick up their food, they can pull off and, and from their car just get curbside prayer. So it was the right thing to start a food pantry, had the right motives to feed the hungry in Indianapolis. It just wasn't being done the right way. And then because of COVID, Life Church had to pivot and we got into alignment with the way the Lord wanted it done. And now the pantry has been very successful. Countless people have come through being able, I don't know, do you know the number, Danya? Like what, the, what, what have, how many of you served to this day? Do you know? A lot. A lot. A lot. Okay. We know it's a lot. Okay. That's good. We're just going to go the, the scientific number of a lot. Okay. So, uh, but, but that's, that's, it, it matters how you do what God is calling you to do is very, very important. If you'd like to be a part of what Kingdom Builders is doing, you can text the word pantry to 317-961-8830. I should have that memorized by now. I've been here for three years. I still don't have it memorized. So I always have to be like, 317-961. <laughs> 8830. There we go. All right. Awesome. Is that actually right? 8830? I was going to say, I feel like I don't even know, but I don't know who put that in there. I didn't put it in there, so don't blame me, okay? Is that, do you, what is it supposed to be? I'm going to find out. Okay. <laughs> this was just from the video. I just screenshotted the video, so okay. Don't blame me, okay? Uh, but you know what? If you would like to donate to the food pantry or get involved, just come talk to Danya or me afterwards, okay? We'll just do it that way. All right. But but it was the right thing with the right motives done the right way. That's when it started to click. It matters. It matters. You know, David had a good heart in this whole thing. David's heart was was to worship God. We see him. He was celebrating. They're bringing the ark in. This is amazing. God has just delivered the Philistines into their hand. David has the whole kingdom. Now he's reigning over just like God told him 15 years earlier. You're going to be the king. Boy, what a promise. He had to wait for the promise. But I want you to remember, a person's heart isn't always right. Now, in our culture, the heart is that center of the emotions, right? Our culture is, is you know, when people say, well, my heart tells me. I feel this way. Today's culture, truth is becoming less, like, fact and, and what God says, and it's becoming more based on what our feelings are and what our emotions are. How many do you hear people, how often do you hear someone say, well, my truth, my truth. 
I'm going to tell you right now, if someone ever says my truth, just look at them and say, there is no my truth. There's not your truth. There is the truth. That's it. That's it. But in our culture, the devil has gotten his, his claws in and he's getting people to think, no, 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 if you feel this way, then it is. No, I'm sorry. If you feel this way, it may not always be. Now, your heart can be a very powerful like, thing. I mean, emotions are good. God gave those to you. But don't think that your heart can't lead you astray. And you know what the Bible says about that? In Jeremiah 17, 9, it says, the, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? That's your heart? That's my heart? Well, it's probably not Danya's heart because she's just a gem, right? Everyone knows she's a gem, okay? But everyone else's heart, okay? <laughs> this is going to be great. I'm going to be like, hey, I said some really nice things about Danya in the staff meeting, and uh, they're going to be like, great job, Mike, awesome job, you know? And so, you know, just get brownie points. There we go. Uh, no, but every human's heart is deceitful. It's wicked. Who can know it? You know, heart coupled with wisdom is the key. Heart coupled with wisdom is an awesome, dynamic force in our world. And that's a good thing. God is, God is there. When you, when you take your emotions, but you couple it with wisdom, boy, it's awesome. But a heart void of wisdom is very dangerous and destructive. And David and Uzzah have been finding this out the, wrong, the, the hard way. Guys, your hearts were right, but you had no wisdom. You did not go back and and study how you're supposed to trans transport this incredibly holy thing. Not because the thing is holy, but because the presence of the Lord is there. David, what he did, he borrowed the methods of the world to do the work of God. How often do we do that, church? I mean, we see that within like modern day church culture too. Like, oh, the world's doing this. There's a concert over there. And, you know, and, and it, looked, it looked awesome. I mean, it was totally ungodly, but let's do what they're doing in the church and maybe people will start coming to church. I'm going to tell you right now, God doesn't need the methods of the world to bring people into the church. He just needs you to be able to know the truth and to speak the truth and to love people as you do it. That's it. It's super simple. And John 8, 32 says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So you want freedom? You want freedom from addiction? You want freedom from from something you're struggling with in your life, it's super simple. No truth. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But why do you think the devil's come at truth? Why is truth now relative in our culture? Because he knows if you know the truth, then you'll be free. And he doesn't want you to be free. Verse 8. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah, and the place was called Perez Uzzah to this day. Basically mean the Lord had an outburst. God's outburst against Uzzah is what that means. Now, now look at this. David was angry. I, I love this picture because David, David's heart loved the Lord, but he was still angry with God. He didn't understand. And you can, you can be angry with God. Trust me, God already knows you're angry, so you might as well tell him anyway, because then you're just kind of lying to him if you don't. So, <laughs> right? So you might as well tell him. Just be honest with him. But David was angry with God. He said, Lord, what the heck? And I think David's anger spurred from a, from a heart where he, he expected God to know his intentions and to bless him because of his intentions. It's like, Lord, I've, I've been your servant. You know, you've blessed me. You've called me into this. I didn't ask for this job. I was just a little shepherd boy, and you called me out of being a shepherd boy, and now I'm a, ki I'm a king because of you. My intentions are for you, but why, why did you allow this to happen? And the Lord is teaching David something really important. He's teaching, he's teaching David the difference between 
logical and theological. Okay? Isn't that interesting? Theological? I don't know if you've ever stopped and looked at the two pieces of those words, right? Theo means relating to God. Okay? God, Theo. And logic, logical means logic. So essentially you could say theological is God's logic. So, so if you want to be theological, just understand how the Lord thinks, and now you're, you're logical, you're theological. But in the world's culture, it's counter to what God says. So the world's logic is not going to be theological, it's going to be human logical. And our logic is not always God's logic. Our hearts are not always feeling what God is doing here. And we have got to learn to use wisdom when we're dealing with our emotions. And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? David stops and he says, I, I don't know if I want this thing. What, what is this? What, I, this is scary. And you may be thinking, well, yeah, yeah that's, David's now afraid of the Lord. I would say, good, he should be. The fear of the Lord is what David is learning in this place. So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David, but David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all of his household. So, so they, put the, they put the ark in this guy's house. And what does the Lord do? Blesses this guy. Why? Because the presence of the Lord is there. When the presence of the Lord is in your life, you will be blessed. What David is wrestling with, he's, he's saying, I would like to get it to Jerusalem, but I don't know, I don't know what, how to do this. Now, you guys all know the answer. What would you tell David? You'd say, hey, David, go back and read Exodus 25 and Numbers 4, and you'll be fine, <laughs> right? Know the how to what you want to do. God has given you the how. But David is learning this lesson in the fear of the Lord. Now, how many know that the fear of the Lord is, it's not a, it's not a, I'm afraid of him, so I never run to him or don't want to be close to him. It's a reverence. David is struggling with this right now because he says, I know I want God. I should run to God, but I'm afraid of what that might mean or cause in my life. And I think what the Lord is going to do, he's going to say, David, I want to be with you too, but you have to recognize how to do it. You can't just come in flippantly. If you come into the presence of the Lord ever with just a flippant heart, I would caution you. I'd say, please consider what Uzzah did. Consider that David didn't know the proper way. And David is now running, in, he's running scared. And the Lord's going to bring him back. You're going to see the ark come to, to the Lord. And I think David's going to probably go back and study the scriptures and say, okay, how do we do this? But it's the fear of the Lord. Proverbs says this in Proverbs 1, 7. It says, the fear of the Lord is the foundation or the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. And then it repeats this again in Proverbs 9, 10. It says, the, the fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Wisdom and knowledge. You want it? You want to know truth? Fear God. Understand His awesome power. Understand His amazing, amazing holiness. Don't mess with it. Revere it. Steward it properly. And God will bless you just like he blessed the house of Obed-Edom. There's a famous poet, a famous American, really. He was uh, the, the uh, 
editor of the New York Evening Post back in the 1800s. And his name was William Cullen Bryant. And it's amazing. Our culture is just full of biblically awesome foundations. People who were in high, high places of authority knew God's word better than probably most pastors know God's word today. And William Cullen Bryant was one of them. But what, but what he said in this quote, I think, rings true. This is why he knew the word of the Lord, why he knew truth so well. Is he, he said, the sacredness of the Bible awes me. And I approach it with the same sort of reverential feeling that an ancient Hebrew might be supposed to feel when, uh, feel who was about to touch the ark of God with unhallowed hands. Do you dive into the word of God with that same reverence? Do you come into this building with that same reverence? Do you, now I'm going to just remember this building is just a place. It's not, it's a building. Do you treat your temple though with the same reverence and holiness that the Ark of the Covenant was, was supposed to be treated with? And what is your temple? Your temple is you. The temple, the temple is your body. Because of what Jesus has done, the Holy Spirit now dwells within us. The presence of the Lord lives within us. How do you treat yourself? How do you treat your body? And I'm speaking to myself here too because I don't always eat right or drink, you know, what I should be drinking or, you know, I, I could do a lot better keeping my temple holy. And I'm sure if we were all honest with ourselves, we probably could all say that. But do you walk into this idea of like, it's, I have to have a fear about this. I need to, I need to revere what God is doing. I need to revere his presence. Or do you just say, yeah, come on in, come into my heart, Jesus, and do your thing, and I'm just going to keep on living life the way. That's a heart like who's ahead. Don't be like that. Now, the picture of the mercy seat, going back to the ark, as we wrap up here, I'm going to invite the prayer team down. The picture of the mercy seat, where God would meet with people over shed blood, you had to be, you had to have the blood of of a lamb covering your sins in order to meet with God. And what was that a picture of? It was a picture of Jesus Christ. Remember, I said the tabernacle was in the heart of Israel, the camp of Israel, and the whole camp was camping around the tabernacle in the form of a cross. God knew what he was going to do even from the foundations of the earth. He knew that it was going to require blood. He knew that his son was going to have to be the perfect sacrifice. But he loved you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. But you have to believe. You have to know him. You have to fear him. Remember? Knowledge. Knowledge. You have to know him. And the beginning of that is the fear of the Lord. If you'd like to, someone to pray over you right now, I'm going to invite you down. I'd like us to just corporately and collectively just sing, I speak the name of Jesus again. And we'll sing that uh, We'll sing that verse and we'll sing that chorus. But as we're singing, if you want prayer, if you say, Pastor Micah, I need that, I need that mercy. I need the mercy seat right now. I need to come before the Lord, but I, I want to do it in the right way. Well, just come down and let the prayer team lead you in that. These, these people here know the fear of the Lord. I, I know them. I, I, I know that they know who God is and who they are. And they can, they can be intercessors for you. But I'm telling you right now, the fear of God the mercy of God, the grace of God is, it's, you can have it. You just have to, you just have to know the truth and the truth will set you free. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, 
Find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.